I need to sh- I'll share my testimony next week when there's no meal. <laughs> like Pastor West better be short and quick. I see a lot of faces I don't usually see on a Sunday night too. So yeah, that makes sense. No, I- I'm just kidding. Sort of. Anyway. Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, if you would, in your Bibles. How many of you have ever read through the entire book of Acts? Anybody? How many of you have ever read through the entire book of Acts and went, where is Paul right now? What is going on right now? Have you ever felt kind of lost? As you're reading the book of Acts, kind of like Paul's just all over the place. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe it's just me. Um, But that's kind of how I felt, I don't know, about a month ago. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to read through the book of Acts, and I'm just going to kind of like timeline it as I read it. And so I just started making notes, just what was going on and what verses in each chapter. And I just kind of went through it. And for me, it, it made sense. For me, it was, it was helpful. And uh, so, I don't know, I guess I just kind of got to thinking as I was re- reading through it. I just said, you know, I'd kind of like to do more of a study. I don't know if I'll preach through the whole book, but I would kind of like to just study through the book of Acts a little bit more because I've never done that just for myself and, and, and uh, looked at it that closely. And so that's just kind of what I've been doing the last few weeks. And so tonight... I just kind of want to do a brief intro to the book um, and just give you some just some thoughts and some uh, just some just some basic things about the book and just some introductory thoughts about the book. And then uh, probably, I don't know, next few months when it's my turn to preach, um, I'll probably be here in the book of Acts. But Luke is the author of the book of Acts, but he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. What's interesting and this, this is probably something that I knew. This is probably something I was aware of, but I had to go back and check. But uh, did you know, or do you realize that Luke was not a disciple? He was not one of the 12. Luke was not an apostle. Do you realize Luke was a Gentile? He was not Jewish. He was not part of the inner circle with Jesus. Yet he wrote a gospel that documents the life of Christ and what Christ did here on this earth. But he was not necessarily an eyewitness to those events. Now, I was reading some commentaries and just some different books about just kind of like some overview ideas of the book of Acts. And that just kind of slapped me upside the head. I had to go back to the book of Matthew where it lists out the 12 disciples that were with Jesus. And I was like, yeah, Luke's not there. I just, in my mind, it was kind of like I assumed Luke was a disciple. He saw these things happen and he was a part of all these things. And so he wrote the book of Luke. But that's not what happened. In fact, that's not what happened at all. So if you have Luke chapter one open, look at chapter one, verse one. It says, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Here in the first two verses, Luke says, listen, 
there are some things that were set forth, written down for us. These things that we believe were written down for us by men who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. They saw these things, they wrote them down, and we believe these things. So notice what he says in verse 3. He says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So now here, Luke says, you know what? Other people are writing down the things that they've seen and the things that they've been taught, and they've written these things down, and we've been taught these things. And Luke is writing for the benefit of one, Theophilus. Luke is writing his gospel for this most excellent Theophilus. Verse 4 says that he might know the certainty of those things wherein he's been instructed. And listen, the book of Luke being inspired by the word of God and, and being preserved for us in God's word is it offers up the same thing for us. It, it's something to secure and to assure us of the things that we've been taught in God's word. But that's why Luke wrote it. He wrote it for Theophilus. Now, go over to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, the former treaty have I made. What's the former treaty? It's the book of Luke. He says, the former treaty have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And here in the book of Acts, Luke continues this story. Luke pretty much writes a two-volume history of Christianity. He starts off with Christ in the gospel, and he writes the life of Christ in the book of Luke. And then in the book of Acts, he continues that on with the church and with what God is doing once Christ is gone and the Holy Spirit comes. There's a, it's, it's amazing to me. There seems to be a lot of debate over what the theme of the book of Acts is. Some people claim that it's historical. Some say it's apologetical, you know, a, def, a, a defense of the faith and, and these different things. And I'm kind of like, why can't it be both? I mean, there's a lot of history in the book of Acts. There are a lot of historical things that take place in the book of Acts. But at the same time, there, there's a lot of doctrine. There is a lot of truth. Paul, over and over again, stands up for the faith and gives a very clear defense for the gospel and, and, and for the word of God, for Christ. And I don't really understand why it can't be both. It's both apologetic and histor historical. I think the theme for the book can really be summed up in chapter 1, verse 8. In chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know what's interesting? The first few chapters of the book of Acts, you get a lot of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends. You have, uh, there are miracles that are done. There are uh, Peter preaches and every man understands in his own language. And you have Ananias and Sapphira where they lie against the Holy Spirit and they both die. 
And God pretty much establishes in the first few chapters the Holy Spirit. And then once he's done with that, it's, it's all church. It's all church. In chapter 6, you have the deacons. Deacons are set, uh, set up, and you, that's where deacons get started. Um, and there's all kinds of church history. Um, and, and that's pretty much the book of Acts. What's really neat to me is if you take your Bible and go over to Acts chapter 8, Go over to Acts chapter 8. So here in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth, right? So look at chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was where? At Jerusalem, where were they going to start being witnesses? Jerusalem. And then it says, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Where did Jesus say they would be witnesses? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You see, there was a great persecution that began to spread. There was a giant church in Jerusalem. And when that persecution started happening, those people began to spread out. And Judea is a region, and Samaria is a region further north of Judea in Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. You remember the woman at the well? You remember the woman at the well? You know what I find interesting is the gospel started in Jerusalem. It spread to Judea, and then it spreads into Samaria. Did the Jews like the Samaritans? No. They called them dogs. Why? Why didn't they like them? Do you remember why they didn't like them? They were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. And so the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. But listen, God is spreading the gospel into a bigger Jewish area, and now he's spreading it into a half-Jewish, half-Gentile area. But then what does the last part of verse, or chapter 1, verse 8 say? unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now he's going to send it out to a completely Gentile area. And what's interesting is take your Bibles, go over to Luke chapter 11. Or I'm sorry, Acts 11. Acts chapter 11. And look, what's, look what happens in verses 19 through 21. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled, notice this, as far as Phoenice, and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came unto Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the, the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Here, I believe, is the purpose of the book of Acts. It was God's, it was God's purpose in spreading the gospel and the good news throughout the entire known world at that point in time so that the world would know about Jesus and his payment for their sin and that the good news would get spread. And Luke documents that here in the book of Acts. It is amazing the things that happen in this book. 
It's amazing the things that God does as he spreads the word and as he spreads the good news and as Jesus is preached around the world at that time. It is amazing some of the stuff that takes place. But Luke documents all that. Luke writes this down for us. So tonight, I want you to see a few things about Luke that I, I find kind of interesting and kind of cool. But um, the first thing I want you to think about when it comes to Luke is Luke was a student. I told you before, he was not a disciple. He was not an, an apostle. What Luke has written down in his gospel and what he has written down in the book of Acts, he has researched. He has interviewed. He has gathered information and written it down. This was not a, necessarily a firsthand account. Now, in the book of Acts, starting in verse 16, Luke begins to travel with Paul. But until that point, he is not an eyewitness to these things. He is, he is hearing these stories, and he is gathering information, probably from Paul, maybe from some other apostles, uh, other people that were there or whatever. I don't know. But he is gathering information and documenting these things. He is writing these things down. Luke, if, if, you, if you just read uh, books about Luke, and if you were to kind of study Luke, you will find that he, uh, number one, he was a physician, he was a doctor, but he was considered well-educated. Um, he, he is considered a very careful writer. Um, I am not the Greek scholar that pastor is, but from what I have read, Luke's writings are almost poetic. The Greek that, the way Luke wrote, they say is beautiful. Uh, I mean, he was a very intelligent person in his writing. Um, he, uh, he was acquainted with sailing and navigation. Just read Acts 27 and 28. When he's on the ship going to Rome with Paul, it is amazing the information and detail that he has included in that trip. It's unbelievable. But he was acquainted with sailing and navigation. Uh, he was geographically aware of where he was at and what was going on. Um, he was obviously very observant. But Luke is considered a very intelligent, educated man. Not only that, think about what's in the book of Acts. Uh, he documents men and women. He document, documents journeys. He documents towns and cities. He documents people and churches. Uh, he documents debates. Think of all the people that Paul and Peter debated with and argued with. Um, he documents persecutions and imprisonments. Uh, one commentator uh, said he documents missionary journeys, doctrine. He documents the Spirit's power. He documents biographies, and he documented historical facts. There is a ton of information packed into the book of Acts. So he was a student. So I, tonight, I would challenge you, be a student. Be a student of God's word. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Live it. But be a student. Be a student of God's word. Acts 17, verses 10 through 11 say this, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that, notice this, they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures 
daily whether those things were so. You know, a couple things here. One, when you read your Bible or when you hear the word of God preached or taught, receive it with readiness of mind. You know, I think it's real easy sometimes. We come to church and it's kind of like, okay, spoon feed me. All right, I'm here. And sometimes I think we come to church and we fail to actually come to church on purpose. We're just here. But listen, we should sit and we should come to church. When we sing, we should sing with purpose. When we listen to God's word, it should be with purpose. It should be a readiness of mind to receive whatever God has for you. And you know what? That takes action. That means you have to listen and pay attention and be seeking what God wants for you while you're listening or reading the word of God for yourself. But not only did they receive it with readiness of mind, but it says they searched the scriptures daily. Why? To see if what they were taught was true. Is it not easy to come to church and be like, yep, I came to church today, heard the word of God, it was good, and we go home and we go back to what we do. Let me ask you a question. How often do you come to church hear something and go, hmm, make a little note and go home and look back at it and read for yourself. You ever do that, anybody? You ever do that? Good. Do that. That is a good habit to have. Man, God spurs a little thought in your mind. Man, chase it. When you get home, go back, look at that note, read your Bible, Google it. Do you realize there are websites where you can Google a verse? And if you scroll down, it'll give you cross-references and other verses to look at about that verse. But man, chase those things. Study, be a student of the word of God. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. But verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. He says, beware lest any man spoil, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Listen, the only way you're going to be rooted and built up and established in the faith is through the word of God. There isn't anything else that's going to root you and establish you. I was thinking about this today. How many of you enjoy pulling weeds? Anybody? Anybody? My wife does. Oh, Mr. Wood does as well. All right. Okay. You guys are weird in my book, but all right. Now, picking weeds when they're like that tall and they're like skinnier than a toothpick, super easy, right, to get at the roots. You just kind of grab them low and they come right out usually. But have you ever like forgotten to maybe walk around your garage to the other side for several months? And on the day that you decide to walk around your garage on that back side, you have those weeds that are like this tall and they're like that big around and have you ever put a pair of gloves on because if you don't they're going to hurt you but have you ever grabbed one of those things down at the base and you're like tugging and trying to pull that stupid thing out of the ground and it don't budge next thing you know what happens you snap it off right that's established god wants you and me to be established in the faith to take root and to go deep into Jesus Christ and to be rooted, to be established. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, According as his divine power hath given unto us, notice this, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him. Be a student. Luke was a student. Luke dug. Luke interviewed. Luke chased things down. And Luke gathered information, wrote it down so that we would have it today. Be a student of God's word. Dig. Dig. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. And listen to this. Be good ground. Be good ground. Go back and look at the parable of Jesus about the sower and the ground. And listen, be good ground. Be receptive ground to the word of God. The next thing Luke was, was he was a servant. So Luke was a student, but Luke was also a servant. In Acts 16, he begins to travel with Paul. And also in in Acts 27 and 28, he is on that ship going to Rome and he is shipwrecked with Paul on that island. As a servant, being a servant takes commitment. He was committed. He was committed to the Lord. He was committed to Paul. He was committed to what God had for him to do. Not only that, but in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul calls him the beloved physician. I kind of find that interesting that Paul refers to him as the beloved physician. There's a part of me that wonders if Luke was Paul's personal doctor. If he looked after Paul. Pastor said this this morning that, that Paul had ailments and he had physical issues. And there's a part of me that kind of wonders maybe, maybe Luke took care of him in some of those things. But he, he refers to him as the beloved physician. Not only does being a servant take commitment, but also when it comes to being a servant, use your skills for God. I was talking to Brother Dennis before church night. He was talking about his, his father uh, at one point in his life was a sign painter and painted most of his signs by hand. That is an amazing skill. And you know what? All of you in here have skills. Your kids have skills. God has blessed each and every one of you with, with skills in some way, shape, and form. Use them for God. Use those skills and those abilities for God. Not only that, but in Philemon chapter 24, he was called a fellow laborer. He was a fellow laborer, a fellow servant, a fellow worker with Paul. With Paul. Not only as a servant do we need to be committed, and not only do we need to use our skills for God, but also we need to work well with others. How well do you do being a fellow laborer? Now, I realize some people make better chiefs than Indians, okay? And some people just make horrible Indians. And some people make horrible chiefs, okay? I get that. But we got to be able to work together. Even when we disagree or there's an issue, we got to be able to come together and work things out. So we got to learn to work together. Another thing in Luke chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, who is Luke writing for? Theophilus. Theophilus. 
Listen, as a servant, we need to remember it's not about us, it's about others. Serving is about others, it's not about us. And unfortunately, many times when we serve, it's easy to start thinking about ourselves and get focused on ourselves, and it's not about ourselves. It's about others. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Listen to this. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be unmovable in your service. 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Listen, remember this. When you serve, you are not in charge of the harvest or the reward. You are in charge of you. And that's all you can control. You are in charge of your own labor. So just be faithful in your own labor and let everything else work itself out. That's all you can do. A couple thoughts when it comes to being a servant. One, be aware. Be aware. Um, when it comes to being aware, I think of Hebrews chapter 10 when it says, consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. That consider one another is being aware of each other. It's paying attention to each other. It's looking for opportunities to serve. So be aware. Look for opportunities. And when you see an opportunity, take it. Just do it. Just act on it. Have you ever tried to teach your kids initiative? Isn't that a fun one? But hey, when you're serving, just take the initiative. Just do it. Just do it. Just take care of it. Make it happen. Luke was a servant. Not only was he a student and a servant, but the last thing is Luke was a sharer. He was a sharer. Like I've said, Luke was writing the book of Luke and the book of Acts for Theophilus. Now, here's a question. Take your Bibles if you're still there or still have them open. Go to Luke chapter 1 one more time and look at verse 3. Look at what the Bible says about Theophilus. It says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, now notice this, most excellent Theophilus. Now, here's my question. Who is Theophilus? Does anybody know? Does anybody know? Do you know who he was? Does anybody? Exactly, right? Who on earth is Theophilus? Nobody really knows. And that's the end of my message. No, it's not. <laughs> Notice what it says about him. Most excellent Theophilus. What's interesting is that phrase most excellent is a phrase that was used, it was a greeting for somebody who socially outranked you. Paul used this same phrase when he greeted Fest, I think it was Festus and Felix. Is that right? Felix and Festus, is that who he stood before, right? I think. I think those were the two. Three of them? And Agrippa. But I don't, remember, I don't know if he greeted Agrippa this way. I don't remember now. But I know the other two he greeted with this same this same phrase, this same greeting. Now listen, in Roman culture, they had sort of a caste-type system. 
and they had their Caesar or their dictator, their ruler. Then they had their senators. Then they had what they called the equestrians. And then it kind of went down from there. But the thing about their caste system is you could actually move within that. You could change castes. So you could change your standing in society. This word, when he greets Theophilus, he is saying Theophilus is important. He ranks high in society. That's what this most excellent means. There are a lot of people who believe that Theophilus was possibly an equestrian. The equestrians were successful businessmen. They were extremely wealthy. They owned land. They had probably served in the Roman army. And they stood in a very prominent spot in society. It's also thought, I guess historically, there is a Theophilus who was the son of Caiaphas, I think. And then there was a, uh, so he would have been like a son or a grandson of a high priest. Uh, There was another guy that was Roman or something. So there's all this speculation. But the one thing that people are pretty confident is, is that Theophilus held a very important position in society. So there are people who think that believe that Theophilus, being a wealthy man, he probably got saved. I would assume from reading Luke 1 through 4 here that he probably got saved. But he wasn't aware he had been taught some things and he needed to be reassured of those things. He needed, he needed some information about what he had believed. So there are people who think that he hired Luke to write these things and he supplied the funds Luke needed to live life so that he could just write. I don't know. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Do a Google search on Theophilus in the Bible and you'll find a bunch of web pages and a whole bunch of information. But anyway, that's the speculation around Theophilus. But this is what I want you to realize. Luke, have you ever tried to write? How many of you like to write? Anybody in here like to write? Okay, do you like writing? No. Anybody? Anybody like or enjoy writing? Anybody written anything over 10 pages? Okay, 20 pages, 30, 40, 50, okay? So we have some people who have written some things, 50 pages. I applaud you because there's no way I'm doing that. Do you realize Luke wrote almost 30% of the New Testament with just Luke and Acts? He wrote a, almost a third of our New Testament. Luke wrote a lot. Why? For one man. Luke was a sharer. Listen, as a student of the word of God and as a servant of God, share. Share. We have commands. We have Acts chapter 1 verse 8 uh, being a witness. We have uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Here's some interesting verses. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 through 25. I kind of mentioned these a second ago. Say, and let us consider one another to provoke. It doesn't stop there. Unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, notice this, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you realize we need each other as believers? Do you realize we need to be able to share? I'll be real honest with you. 
it is one of, it's one of my favorite things, whether it's at men's prayer breakfast or I'm just kind of overhearing a conversation that some guys are having. It is, it is one of the neatest things to me when a man bring, breaks out a Bible reference, quotes a verse or shares a verse and uses that verse to encourage, to help, to inform or whatever another believer that that just I, I love. That's just awesome to me. And listen, we need to be we need to be able to share with each other. It's not just about sharing the gospel with the world. It's about exhorting and helping and building and encouraging each other as well. Not only that, think about this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And ye, or and ye fathers, this is not my favorite verse, okay? This is a hard verse for Wes. But notice what Ephesians 6, 4 says. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But notice what it says. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's sharing. That's sharing. Do you realize the greatest asset and the greatest influence we have is our kids? Do you ever stop and share the Bible with your kids? Do you ever stop and give them a Bible reason for, what you, for why you do what you do or why you don't do what you don't do? Do you ever seek to share with your kids the word of God to help influence them? They are probably the greatest influence we have. And here's the thing. Each and every single one of you, kids included, you have influence. If you go to work, you have influence. If you have a spouse, you have influence. If you have kids, you have influence. You kids go to school, you have influence. You have neighbors, you have influence. Every single one of us has influence. All of you function within a sphere. And in that sphere, God has strategically placed people for you to influence. Be a sharer. Be a sharer. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we're all Pastor Monday. Okay? I have seen Pastor Monday talk to a fence post. Not really. But he can talk to anybody. I cannot just talk to anybody. Um, Tony can talk to anybody. I, I'm, I, that just... I just don't have that. That's just not necessarily me. If we don't have something to talk about, we probably are not going to talk. If you're looking for somebody to create small talk, I am not that guy. Usually, we're just going to ride in silence, man, because, sorry, there's just really nothing going on up there. And so I'm just not going to be creating content to talk about. All right? Now, if you are that person, and we're riding along, and you throw something out, Pastor and I, we're going down the road, he throws something out, and we'll talk about it or whatever and stuff like that. But if there's like a lull in the conversation, it's not usually, an, it's not usually me who breaks that lull. Because, okay, I've said what I have to say, I'm done. That's it, moving on. That's fine. You don't have to have the gift of gab. You don't have to be the world's greatest talker. But listen, I guarantee you if you are willing to share, whether it's the gospel or a Bible verse to encourage a fellow Christian, I guarantee you God will give you opportunities. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit is going to go, bing, and give you a thought. And you're going to go, oh, well, John 3, 16 says this. And, and you have an opportunity to say it. Take your opportunities. 
take your opportunities. I guarantee you God will give you opportunities and the Holy Spirit will spark a thought, but don't ignore those opportunities. Take them when God gives them to you and be a sharer. Luke was a student, he was a servant, and he was a sharer. Kids, as you go back to school, mom and dad, as you go back to work, as you guys go throughout your week, listen, be a student of the word of God, be a servant of God, and be a sharer with those people that God puts around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Just pray you bless our night, bless the food and uh, the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.